Welcome to the Movement Church in Orange County, California. We believe that today's message will inspire you, challenge you, and raise your faith that God is up to something big in your life. Let's jump into today's message. Hey, we're going to dive in today. And as we dive into the sermon, I just want to remind you, we are in, um, we're in a season right now. At the Movement Church, we do things in seasons. Life happens in seasons, right? Sports happen in seasons. In fact, we're about to close a season next week with the Super Bowl. Some of you are excited. Some of you are so sad that your team didn't make it. I get it. But things happen in seasons, and so we do seasons around here at the Movement Church, and what that does is it gives us something together as a church to be collectively focused on, and it's something that we believe that God is wanting to do inside of all of us. So this season that we are in right now is called Bold as Lions. Somebody say Bold as Lions. Good job, guys. You said it loud and proud. I don't even have to make you say it again. Bold as lions. Hey, we believe that this season at the Movement Church is all about God doing something inside of us to help us as Christ followers walk in boldness, to pray bold prayers of faith, to to be bold men and women and young people of faith that are not afraid to talk with our neighbors and our coworkers and our, our peers about who God is, about what he wants to do in their life because we know our lives have been changed and we wanna share that good news, right? We're gonna walk with bold faith this year. And we pulled this from a scripture, Proverbs 28.1, that says the righteous are as bold as lions. The righteous are as bold as lions. So that scripture illuminates for us who is bold. The righteous are bold. But how many times do you hear words at church that you're like, I'm not sure exactly what that means? To be righteous means to be in right standing with God. And so what does it look like to walk in righteousness? Well, the scripture tells us in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So here's what I know. When we come in with a hunger, with a thirst, with a desire to say, God, I want to be in right standing with you. I want to be righteous. When we have that desire, that hunger and thirst, the scripture says that we will be filled. So the series we're in the middle of right now is called Thirsty. Somebody say thirsty. Hey, we're talking to Christ followers about what it looks like to be thirsty for righteousness, to be hungry for righteousness. So if you're here today with us and you're not sure where you stand in your faith, I just want to encourage you, permission to belong before you believe. You kind of get to sit back and just take it all in today. But if you're here in the room, if you're online with us and you call yourself a Christ follower, this series is for you. It's for you to understand what it looks like to walk in righteousness to develop a hunger and a thirst for more of God, to allow him to do a transform, transformative work inside of us. You see, Pastor Kerry has done an incredible job setting the series up and preaching. If you've missed any of the messages, you really need to go back and listen because there is so much information provided. In fact, if you're in the room, I would encourage you to take notes. You can follow along in our app. We put notes in there for you so that you know exactly like what blanks to fill in. But this is something you're going to want to go back to and look over. There's a lot of information that we're going to share. And so note takers are history makers, guys. Note takers are history makers. So write some notes down as you're listening today. But we've been talking in this series about the fact that our lives 
are driven and organized, not from the external, but from the internal. You have a spirit within you, and it's the driving force for everything you do. Your spirit has been formed. Your spirit is, it has been formed by your choices, by your experiences. And here's the thing, when you make a decision to become a believer, when you've made a decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, the beautiful thing that happens is with that one decision, it's a gift of salvation. That one decision is an acknowledgement that says, I realize that I am a sinner in need of a savior and God sent his only son Jesus to pay the price for my sins and I don't have to do anything at all to receive it except say, God, I, re I receive it. It's a free gift. And the Bible calls this justification. Justification means just as if I've never sinned. And in that moment, when I make a decision to say yes to following Jesus, the Bible says I become a new creation, right? I become new in Christ. But then becomes the process of what the scripture says is sanctification, which is really learning what it looks like to walk in righteousness. Why? Because the spirit that's inside of me has been formed. And my spirit now needs transformation, right? My spirit needs transformation so I can become more like Jesus, so I can walk in righteousness. And that's why we should desire this. So today we're going to just dive right back into this series, Thirsty, and I hope you're ready. But let me do this before we do, why don't I pray for us? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? God, I just thank you for every person who's in the room today. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. God, I thank you that, God, I thank you that you are so kind. You're so gentle. Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you're not going to leave us where we're at, but God, you're going to constantly give us the tools to become the person you created us to be. God, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, if you've been here on the past few Sundays, you've seen this little pillar that's here as Pastor Carrie has done a great job breaking down what it looks like for each of us as humans in this room to walk through the process of transformation. Because all of us as individuals were made up of different parts. And so we refer to these as just the six different dimensions that make me who I am, that make you who you are. And so we've been talking about this, and each of us has a spirit. It's the heart. It's, it's what's within us. It's the, it's the control center. It's the place from which we make choices. This is representative of our will. All of us have thoughts that we're thinking, thoughts that you're thinking right now at this very moment. All of those thoughts have feelings attached to them because you cannot have a thought that does not have a feeling attached. And all of these things are making us who we are. Every person in this room has a soul. And the soul is like the internal operating software that's constantly going. It's the definition of who you are as an individual. And every one of us in this room have a body. All different bodies represented in this room, but we have a physical body. And what's not there is we all also have a social context. It means the, the experiences that surround us, the people that we do life with, the, the people that influence our life, all of us have that. And so these are the different dimensions that make us who we are as a human. And today, 
I bet you can guess what we're going to look at today. Today, we're going to look at the heart. I decided to go all out on the theme today. I just figured, why not? We're going to look at the heart. The heart is the the spirit that is within us. It's our will. The heart is the command center of our lives. It's from this place right here that we make every choice that we make. The heart is our command center. Every choice that we will make is influenced from the command center of our spirit. Every choice in our thoughts, what we're going to think about, which in turn affects our feelings, what we feel, Every choice in our body, what we're going to do, what we're going to eat, are we going to work out this week? Every single choice comes back to our spirit, which is the command center. So as you can imagine, this is why the scripture is really clear about how we take care of our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, because your heart determines the course of your life. Now, the heart physically, the heart that's in your body doesn't look like this. It's not very pretty, actually, but the heart that's in your body physically, it's what keeps you alive. It's what keeps your blood pumping. If your heart was to stop, your life would stop. Everybody follow? The same thing happens spiritually, though. Because spiritually, your heart or your spirit is central to every single thing that you do. This is your ability to choose. And guys, this is what makes you human. This is what makes you human, not a robot. And some people get questions about this with God. Like, gosh, it's so much, so hard to follow God. It's so hard to walk in righteousness. Why didn't God just make us do what he wanted us to do? But that wouldn't be the nature of God because God is love and love involves choice. And so from your heart, from your spirit, the command center of your life, you have the ability to choose. Nobody chooses for you. You have the ability to choose. And it's from our hearts that our deepest thoughts and our desires come. The Hebrew word that's used in the scripture, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart, The Hebrew word that's used here is the word leb, and it means this, one's inner self, one's inclinations, dispositions, determination, courage, your intentions, your attention, consideration, and reason. All those things are part of the command center of our life, the spirit within us. And if my heart is my command center, and from my spirit, all of my choices are made, then it stands to reason that my spirit needs transformation. It needs transformation. Psalm 51.10, a man named David, if you're familiar with the Bible, he's praying a prayer. And this prayer comes on the heels of him making some really poor decisions. See, every single one of us has sinned. None of us has fallen short of that. David here, he found himself in a moment where he had made some really poor decisions. And I I just think it's good for you to know that because because all of us find ourselves there at some point or another. In Psalm 51, David prays this prayer and he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. You see, this, this prayer actually needs to be the posture of 
all of our hearts. To be in a process of surrender to God that says, God, would you create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me? Because this process right here, that's where transformation happens. When that becomes our prayer, that's where transformation happens. You know, Dallas Willard in the book, The Renovation of the Heart, he said this, those with well-kept hearts are people who are prepared for and capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and in ways that are right. How many of you know life throws you a lot of different situations? And those with a well-kept heart are capable of responding to the situations of life in ways that are good and right. Here's something you need to know. When it comes to dealing with the heart, everything's connected. All these things are connected. And the reason I say that is because I think all of us are constantly looking for a quick fix. It's why the diet industry is like booming, right? A pill that I can take, a drink that I can drink, a shot that I can get, whatever it looks like, I want a quick fix. And I think we're all guilty of looking for a quick fix. But there's no quick fix when it comes to transformation. This is going to be a lifelong process. And if you have made a decision to be a follower of Jesus, this is going to be something that you're walking out day in and day out, becoming, like that song said, more like Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. It's a constant process of transformation. And in order to do that, I cannot just address one dimension or one part. I've got to recognize that it is all connected. See, the spirit or the heart is the command center. This is where choices are made, right? But thoughts and feelings and desires and our social context all contribute to the choices that we're making. They all contribute. You know, this week I was, um, I was sharing a frustration very passionately. May have not have been this week, might have been the week before, but I was very passionately, as you can imagine, sharing a frustration with Pastor Kerry. Now, of course, it wasn't with Pastor Kerry because he's practically perfect in every way. But I was sharing a frustration, and I was passionately articulating all of the things that I wanted to articulate. And because Pastor Kerry has been preaching this message for the past three weeks, he, uh, he annoyingly said, <laughs> he said, hey, I, I think that there's a feeling here. And I'm like, yes, there are some feelings. And... And those feelings, they're, they're attached to a thought. And I'm like, yes, they are. And he's like, maybe we need to get to the root of, of what that is. Because my response, my choices to articulate what I was expressing were coming out of the feelings and the thoughts that I was having right there in that moment. Has, can anyone relate to this? Okay. So... The thing to do here that I did not want to do, because I don't like to slow down, the thing to do here is that we've got to recognize that everything's connected. Everything's connected, and it requires us, as we are following Jesus, to slow down and to recognize what's happening in all of these dimensions of our life. 
See, the, the will, the spirit, or the heart, is dependent in its functioning on the contents of the mind, our thoughts and our feelings. And the will, it's the spirit, is hemmed in by what our thoughts and our feelings are in the moment of willing. Make sense to you? In that moment that I'm making a decision, my thoughts and my feelings are influencing that decision that I'm making. And all of us know what this is like. Because today, if you're to go out to lunch after service, and you have made a decision, I'll just, I'll put this on me. I have made a decision today that if I go out to lunch after church, I've had a pretty full weekend, I'm gonna go and I am going to get a salad, a green salad with some protein, some light protein, some chicken on that salad, and that's all I'm gonna get. If we go to a Mexican food restaurant, I'm not gonna indulge in the chips and the guacamole because I know in my nowhere, I've, I've decided in my spirit, I'm going to make a decision to eat healthy today because I know that that's going to be a good thing for me. But when I get to that restaurant and I sit down at that table, I smell those chips and my desires begin to change. And my desires are like that bacon cheeseburger that is on the menu right there mm, with some truffle aioli and some avocado, and some crispy onions. That sounds better than the salad with the chicken. And my desires begin to play into the choice that I'm about to make. And my feelings are like, oh yeah, I have been craving a good burger. I want a good burger. And I begin to think, you know, it's not that big of a deal. I could eat healthy for dinner tonight. And so all of a sudden from command center, I make a choice that has been influenced by all of these dimensions of my life. Are you following? The same thing happens in a dating relationship. Because as a Christ follower and someone who's chosen to build my life upon the word of God, when I'm in a relationship, there's desires. There are desires that happen. But in my command center, in my spirit, I'm going, I want to make the right choices that align with the word of God. But my feelings are like, but I love this person. I love this individual. And I know that the word of God says that sex is ordained for marriage between a man and a woman. And I know that's what God says. But then I begin to have these thoughts that go, but did he really say that? Same thoughts that Eve had in the garden. But is that what God really meant? Isn't that a little outdated? Haven't things kind of changed a little bit? And then all of a sudden, from command center, I make a choice. I know we laugh about one and the other, we kind of oh, feels a little uncomfortable, but this is how we're operating. And our spirit and our heart needs transformation, but we've got to recognize that we are really good as humans at justifying all of our decisions. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things. You know, there's this idea right now that everybody just has a generally good heart. No. <laughs> we don't. We need to make me more like Jesus. Holy Spirit, make, we need to be made more like Jesus because none of us just at the core have just a really good heart. No, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? But I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind, to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. 
You know, I think we just get really good at justification. And you know, the greatest form of deception is actually self-deception. In our culture that we live in today, the direction of self, the direction of our will and our spirit is usually left up to feelings. In fact, you hear that most places you go. Well, if you feel that way, follow your feelings. That is foolish to consider because feelings were never meant to be leaders. Feelings will mislead you. Feelings are not always true. Just because you feel it does not mean that it's real. Just because you have that feeling does not mean that it's truth. Every feeling is attached to a thought. And hey, guess what, friends? Just because you think it doesn't mean that it's true. It doesn't mean that it's true. And so we have this responsibility to find the truth that's based on an absolute, which if you're a Christ follower, you've recognized is the word of God. But we have been led in this culture that we live in today to be driven by our thoughts and our feelings, and feelings were never meant to be leaders. When we allow ourselves to be led by our feelings, I promise you, I think David started the song out that we sang earlier today about this. When I do what I want to do, because I feel like it's the right thing, confusion's going to follow. Pain's going to follow. Depression and anxiety and frustration will follow. All of those things come with me doing what I want to do, being driven by feelings, being driven by self, and so I need transformation. And the good news is this, that even though our spirit and our will is influenced greatly by our thoughts and our feelings, listen to this, you get what you choose. Tell your neighbor, you get what you choose. You heard that saying, you get what you get and you don't throw a fit? It doesn't have anything to do with what I'm talking about right now. You get what you choose. You see, our thoughts and our feelings actually have a crucial dependence on our will and our choices. The condition of our minds is actually a matter of the direction in which our will or our spirit is set. You get what you choose. You get to choose what you think about, and the thoughts that you choose to think about will have a direct effect on the way that you feel. You get what you choose. Now, if you've been here the past few weeks, you heard Pastor Kerry talk about thoughts. And sometimes you cannot control the very first thought that pops into your head. Those are happening all the time, right? You cannot control the very first thought that pops in your head, but you can control what you do with it. You can control whether that thought you continue to think on and to meditate on, or whether you say, whoa, 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 that's not the truth. You get what you choose. You get to decide what you are going to think about, which will have a direct effect on what you are going to feel. See, God made us so intricately like this. He wired your brain so beautifully like this, and that's a, another message for another day. But the really cool thing about how God made your brain is that it's neuroplastic, which means it has the ability to change. And when you think a thought physically in your brain, it appears on your brain kind of like a little stick figure tree. And you think that thought. And the more that you think on that same thought, 
the thought begins to grow. And it begins to develop grooves in the brain that are described as neural pathways. That's how we refer to people getting stuck in a rut because they've been thinking the same thought over and over and over again. And it's so easy to fall into that same thought process. And when you look at the brain, every single one of those little stick figure trees has something that looks like a little drop of water attached to it. And that's a feeling, right? You get what you choose. The Bible says that you have the ability to choose your thoughts, which in turn will control the feelings that are produced. You have the ability to get out of a rut by choosing what you're going to think about. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what does that mean? That means that I've got to get in tune with what I'm actually thinking. I've got to pause and get in tune with what I'm thinking. Because if I have a thought that comes into my mind, I experience something in my social context. Maybe I'm left out of an invitation to a party. I'm left out. And then I see an Instagram post of all of the people that are there. And I experience a thought. And the thought is, they don't like me. They don't want me around. And that thought has a feeling attached to it, and that feeling is rejection. And I begin to tell myself a story based upon that thought and that feeling. Nobody actually wants me around. I must not be likable. There must be something about me that, that turns people off. And, and for some of us, we dive internally into this self-deprecation type of thoughts and feelings. For others, maybe it's a lashing out in anger, self-protection. I don't want to feel rejection, so I'm going to be angry about this situation right here. All of us have thoughts and feelings that are attached to situations that play out but we have a decision what to do with those initial thoughts. We can either continue to meditate on those thoughts and say, yeah, you know what? I never get invited. Yep, I'm always the one that's left out. They don't like me. And we begin to tell ourselves a story and meditate on those thoughts and it develops these grooves inside of our brain that become ruts which we constantly go back to and get stuck in. Or we have the ability to choose to take captive every thought that is not from God. Every thought. So we have the ability in that moment to go, you know what? It's okay that I'm not invited to everything. I, I'm confident in who I am. I don't need every person everywhere to invite me to everything. I know that God made me uniquely as I am. We're, we're not just taking that thought and holding on to it. We're saying, I'm going to get rid of it, and I'm going to replace it with some truth. I know that God made me exactly as I am. He intricately designed me in my mother's womb. That's scripture for you. It, I know that God prepared me in advance for good works that he has for me to do. I know that God has good plans for me. That's scripture for you. And so I'm taking the negative thought that I have and I'm replacing it with the truth of God's word and it will in turn change the way that I feel. It will, it has to. So we have the ability to choose. We have the ability to choose. And our thoughts and our feelings have a crucial dependence on our will and our choices. And here's what you need to know. Every choice that you make is determining your character. Every choice that you make is determining your character. Now, what is character? Character is the internal 
overall structure of the self that is revealed by our long-run patterns of behavior and from which our actions, more or less, automatically arise. Every single one of us in this room, over time and through our choices, have developed a character that's represented by the choices that we've consistently made and now have become almost automatic. And the good thing about character is that character can be changed, and that's what spiritual transformation is all about. And for instance, maybe you in this room, and I'm not talking to anyone in particular, if it resonates, that's you, between you and God. Maybe you in this room are like an angry, reactive individual. And if someone knows your character, they know this person is always, like, they're just hot-headed. They're always reactive. They're just always angry. And, and they, they can lash out with their, their words and their, their body language. And, and that's the character that maybe you've developed. But the good news about that is if that's the character that you've developed, that character can be changed by my choices and by my will. But that will only happen if I redirect my thoughts and my feelings. I've got to actually begin to recognize what is it that is setting me off in fits of rage and fits of anger? What are the thoughts that are driving those feelings? And I've got to begin to dig deep and realize, is this just an issue where I need to be in control and I'm not in control? And so I'm angry at the situation and I'm lashing out. We've got to actually dig in to do the work and figure out how to make the changes because character can be changed but it has to be changed by doing an internal work of all the things that are happening on the inside. But the problem is, most of us get so focused on outward behavior that we don't address the internal issues of the heart. We go, yeah, people kind of know me as an angry person, and I don't want to be known as an angry person because I do know that that's a bad thing to be angry and reactive, so I'm going to try to change how I behave in front of everybody else, but yet I'm not doing the internal work on the inside of what's happening, and ultimately, that character will not be able to change if all I'm focused on is the outward behavior. You see, I think desperately all of us, we want to perform correctly. And I think we're really good at deceiving ourselves and deceiving others. Not dealing with internally what's going on, but dealing with behavior modification. You know, an example of this might be at work, your boss tells you something that they want you to do, and you don't agree with it. In fact, you think it's a poor choice and you don't think it should happen. This could happen at school with a teacher or with a coach. This could happen in any situation of your life. Someone in authority tells you something that they need you to do and you don't agree with it. But you know that because this is your job and it's how you're supposed to perform, that you make a decision, well, I'll do what I have to do. And so outwardly, for everyone to see, you begin to adjust that behavior because you know that that's what you're supposed to do to keep your job. But inwardly, your thoughts and your feelings are like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I don't know why we're doing this. They're so foolish in their decision-making. I don't agree with anything. And my feelings are anger and resentment. And I'm developing all of these things inside of me, yet I think that I'm, I'm being transformed because my actions for everyone to see look really good. But internally, there's a mess that's happening. Internally, I've got some rebellious character that's been developing. 
And you're like, well, no, that's not the case. I did what I was supposed to do. No, the rebellious character is starting within you. It's within your heart. It's in your thoughts and your feelings. It's this idea that you're right and they're wrong, which really stems from pride. So internally, this character is being developed even while externally I'm working on the behavior modification to look right. And I'm afraid that as Christians, we do this really well. Yeah. We, we work really hard. We're very duplicitous. We, we constantly look one way, but maybe are feeling another. I think we, we struggle with this. Why? Because the heart is deceitful. But, but what's going on inside of us is what's going to eventually come out of us. And this process of spiritual transformation requires us to address the heart. You know, the Lord said to the prophet Samuel when he was looking for a king, the Lord said, do not look on his outward appearance or on his height or his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, I just, I just think God's really, truly looking for our hearts, a spirit that's aligned with his will, not our outward behavior for other people to see, but an actual heart transformation that's taking place in every dimension of our lives because it's all connected. The Lord looks at the heart. The prophet Joel, when he was talking to the nation of Israel, and he was, he was basically begging for them to come back to God because they'd been walking in a life of sin, and they'd been making poor choices. And the prophet Joel says to the people, come back, repent. Repent means turn. Turn from the behavior that you had and turn to God's way. But he says, rend your heart and not your garments. That means bring me your heart. It's what's happening internally that matters to God. Not your garments, what people see on the outside. God's looking for hearts. And years ago, Pastor Kerry, when he was a youth pastor, preached a message that has always stuck with me. And he preached a message from that scripture. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And he said, I just wonder if God looks around the room and he doesn't see individuals with jackets and you know, puffer vests and all the things that we see when we look at people. I wonder if God just sees a bunch of little hearts. I gave out some props to some friends in the room. Can you just hold those up? I just wonder if when God looks around the room, he's not, he's not looking at the individuals. He's, I think he's looking at the hearts. When he sees Brian, he's not looking at Brian is one of our executive leaders at our church who runs our operations. He's not looking at what Brian does or how he behaves. Brian's a great dad, but, and I think God's pleased with him being a great dad, but he's not looking at that. I, I think he's looking at Brian's heart. It's not the outward behavior. It's the inner work that's happening in him. For Nichelle, I think... I think God looks at Nichelle and he sees, he sees her heart. Not the fact that she's an amazing cook. She can make amazing meals and really, really good cookies. I, I think he's looking at the heart. When he sees Juan, I, I think he sees the heart. And, 
And I think he knows and he's pleased by some of the behavior. And, and Juan shows up here every other week as one of our greeters. He's awesome. He's out in the parking lot. He'll make you feel welcome. Juan will talk to anybody. He'll, he'll make you feel like you matter because that's just something that he's good at. But it'd be really easy for Juan just to show up at church and walk through the motions of serving on a dream team because that's what you're supposed to do. It's the outward behavior that people need to see. I think the outward behavior that people need to see has got to flow from a heart, a heart that's fully submitted to God, a heart that wants what God wants. I see all of you, Nancy and Nicole and Katie and Leah, I see all of you with these hearts, and I just wonder, when God looks out, I just wonder maybe if he just sees a bunch of little hearts bouncing around. You can put those down. God looks at the heart. And here's what the thing is, God, God looks at just the slightest movement of a heart towards him. This process of transformation, it doesn't happen immediately and you're all good. It's a daily surrender. It's a posture daily of taking inventory of my thoughts, my feelings, my desires. It's a process daily of making choices that align with the will of God. It's a process daily of evaluating my heart and my spirit because it's from that where every choice is made. It's a process daily to guard my heart above all else. It's a process daily to not develop a hardened heart, a resentful heart, an angry heart. It's a process daily to say, I want what God wants, but I think God is looking not for a bunch of people performing correctly, but he's looking for hearts that are surrendered to him. Kierkegaard, a theologian, said that purity of heart is to will one thing. So when David said, I'm a mess, I'm a sinner in need of a savior, and he prayed that prayer, God create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. What he was really saying is, God, I want your way and not my way. God, I want what you want, not what I want. That's a hard one to let go of. But part of transformation of our spirit is to say, not my will, but yours be done. When we surrender our will to God, what we're doing is we're acknowledging his supremacy in all things. And I think we just struggle here. Andrew Murray said it like this. We find the Christian life so difficult because we seek God's blessing while we live in our own will. I just wonder how often we get so frustrated with God, with others. I'm like, God, why aren't you blessing me? We want God's blessing, but we want my way. That's why our spirit needs transformation. And transformation is when we acknowledge God's will. We say, God, this is what your word says. This is your plan for humanity. This is your plan for me. We acknowledge God's words. And listen, sometimes we start with that a little bit grudgingly. Like, oh, I don't like that this is God's will. It's okay. It's okay that you feel that way. When you read the word of God and something feels a little uncomfortable, like, oh, I don't know if I like that. 
That's just your flesh getting in the way. But if you can just acknowledge, okay, I don't know if I like that, but God, not my will, but your will be done. Maybe I'm a little frustrated, but choosing God's will anyway. That's a great first step. So what if, what if your goal was just to say, God, I have a, a spirit that's willing to be made willing. Like, I want, I want to follow you. Because when you can get to that place where even though it's frustrating and even though it's hard and even though it's a lot of work to align your decisions and your choices with the will of God, when you can say, God, I'm going to make a decision to follow you because this is what you say is best, when you really get to a life where your spirit is led by not my will but your will be done, what happens here is a process called abandonment. And what that means is I'm abandoning all of myself no part of my flesh is going to hold me back from God's will. And when I get to that place, I stop being worried about, will God do what I want God to do? And I find contentment in God's perfect plan. And beyond contentment lies an intelligent, energetic participation in accomplishing God's will in our world. Because when we get to the place where our spirit and our will is fully surrendered to the will of God, all of a sudden we recognize that we're just a part of the big picture story that God is working out in this world that we live in and we're no longer spectators, but we realize the part that we play. And the strongest human will is always the one that's surrendered to God's will and acts with it. It's surrendered to God's will and it acts with it. So where do you start? If you want to know God's will, you're going to have to get to know him. It means you're going to need to dig into the word. You're going to need to create time that's more than just a Sunday morning where you actually say, God, I want what you want. Where you read the scripture because the scripture reveals to us God's plan. Where you take all of the questions and the things that you're struggling with and you, you take it to the Bible, the word of God, and what's God say about this? You're going to need to have some spiritual disciplines in your life. Spiritual discipline of solitude. It's not, not isolation. Some of you just like to pull back and hide from people when you're in a process. You can't hide from people. You actually need people. But solitude means I'm going to get one-on-one -on -one with God. You need it. You're going to maybe need to fast. Fasting means I'm setting aside something that I value, whether it's food or social media, something that you have prioritized maybe over God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set that aside for a little while and put my full attention on who God is. You need to worship because worship exalts the name of Jesus. It magnifies him over every other thing that we're facing. Worship doesn't just happen when we sing songs on a Sunday morning. Worship is a posture of my heart. A heart surrendered to God. You're going to need those things in your life. Some spiritual disciplines. Because God is looking for hearts. And a heart surrendered to his will. Not my will, God, but yours be done. I want to take a moment. And I just want to pray for some people that are in the room or maybe online. And you're here and maybe you've been wrestling with faith not sure what you believe. And there's a starting line to a, a relationship with God 
And it's simply just saying yes. It's recognizing that I'm a sinner and I need a savior. And God sent his son Jesus to pay the price for my sin. And, and if that's you and you've never made that decision before, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. And maybe you're here and you've been running from God and I, it's time to come back. So I just want to invite you to pray a simple prayer with me. And I'm going to ask everyone in this room just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And if that's you and you need to make a decision today for the first time or the first time in a long time, I'm just going to invite you to pray this prayer with me in the quietness of your own heart. Make it personal between you and God. Say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Today, I'm making a decision to follow you. And all around this room, if that's you, let these words be your own. Just simply say, Jesus, I give you my heart. In Jesus' name. When every head bowed, every eye still closed, nobody looking around. If that's you, just as a declaration of faith, I'm going to ask in a moment, when I count to three, would you just slip your hand up and slip it right back down so I know who I prayed with? Hey, this is why we exist as a church. It's why we exist as pastors. And just as a declaration of faith, like I'm making a decision today to give Jesus my heart. If you prayed that prayer with me for the first time or the first time in a long time, on the count of three, would you slip your hand up and slip it right back down? Are you ready? One, two, three. Awesome. All over the room. Anybody else? Anybody else? Awesome. I see those hands. And if I missed the hands, God got the hands. Remember, God's not concerned about your hands. He's concerned about your heart. And the slightest movement of our heart towards him, he's so receptive towards. So Jesus, I just thank you for what you're doing in this room. God, I thank you for every person today who made a decision to follow you, who's making a decision to give you their heart. God, I thank you, Lord, that today is a brand new beginning. God, life might not get perfect, but it sure does get good. And God, there is joy in following you. So God, I thank you for every person who prayed that prayer. God, I thank you for every person who's in the room today. God, I thank you that you're doing a work in our hearts. God, I thank you you're showing us the areas of our life that are in desperate need of transformation. And God, I thank you that we don't have to try to do it on our own, that your spirit is with us and that you are for us. So God, I thank you, Lord Jesus, for your revelation. And I thank you for what you're doing in this room. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Come on, give God a great big hand clap for every person what a message. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, connect with us by texting Jesus to 949-267-3242. And if you're local to Orange County, be sure to check us out on Sundays. You can get all the information at theocmovement.com.